beginning in the call of worship. Um, now it's a season of Advent. Christmas season is a season of Advent. And what is the definition of Advent? Advent the meaning of Advent is celebrating an, the arrival of a very important person. Right? So in the Greek, in, in Greek times, I would imagine, it's you celebrate when a king approaches, when a king enters his kingdom, or when a war hero approaches the king, enters the kingdom, they celebrate, right? Like, if for some strange, miraculous, odd-defying reason, the courier somehow makes it to the next two rounds, it's going to be an advent. You know, they're going to be a ticker tape parade in, in the Korean team's honor in, in downtown Korea. That's what advent is celebrating an arrival of an important person. And for the Christian, Advent is the arrival of the most important person, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We celebrate the arrival of our King. Advent, the Christmas season, is that we remember and we celebrate who our King is. That's the purpose of Advent. But the world that we're living in, they kind of extract the king away from the Advent season. During the Christmas season, it's not really about Jesus at all. This is a time of every, many churches in the world, pastors complain about how Christmas season is void of Christ. right? And that's, that's true. So I look at what is happening in the Christmas season, and I'm just puzzled by what unbelievers think this season is. Right? I have no idea. I'm all for Christmas trees. I love Christmas trees. I'm all for holiday music. I play Christmas music in my car since November, right? Good stuff. I'm for not so much presents, because I'm in the presence of buying presents, not receiving presents, right? But I'm all for the giving of all. And I'm for vacation at the end of the year. I'm all for all of that. But I'm not really sure what all of this has to be about Christ. If you ask an unbeliever, what does the Christmas season mean to you? They won't give you an answer, because they don't know. They'll give you some vague thing about, well, Christmas time is about time with family. It's about family. Is it? I, I, I thought Thanksgiving was time for family. Hallmark Movie Channel will say, Christmas is about love. Is it? I thought Valentine's Day, because my wife reminds me, Valentine's Day is about romance. Right? I have no idea what the unbelievers think that this Christmas season is. But for us, guys, don't believe, don't get swept away by the nonsense of the, of, of the meaningless season that the world celebrates. For us, we celebrate the coming of our king. We celebrate the coming of our God. We celebrate the incarnation of God himself. Christmas season, specifically, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is the definition of incarnation? Incarnation is God taking a true human nature in order to save his people. 
God taking a true human nature, coming into the world in order to save his people. It is God enveloping himself in true human nature to come into the world to save us. That's what incarnation is about, and that's what the season of Advent is about. It's about the incarnation of God himself so that he can save us. But in order for us to fully understand this doctrine of incarnation, in order for us to fully understand the significance, the importance of, 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 the importance of Christ himself, of the second person of the Trinity coming into the world in human form, in order for us to truly understand the significance of it, we need to understand who Jesus was before coming into the world. For us, we only think about Jesus in Christmas time. We only think about Jesus during Christmas time as a little baby in a manger in the farm. But John is saying, not John Kim, but John is saying, in order, for, in order for you to fully understand who Jesus is, you need to go before the baby in the manger. You need to examine who Jesus was prior to coming into the world. That's what the first 14 verses of John is about. It describes who Jesus is prior to coming into the world. An interesting note that you need to keep mindful of, the name Jesus Christ, that name is it's connected to his saving work in the world. Once again, the name Jesus means he has come to save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. He's coming into the world to save people. But in the first chapter of John, John does not call Jesus, Jesus. He calls Jesus the Logos. Before Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ, John's saying Jesus Christ was the, is the Logos. So in order for us, to, for us to truly understand the significance of incarnation, we need to understand who Jesus was prior to coming into the world. And the first thing that John describes of who Jesus was prior to coming into the world is logos, the word. In the beginning was the word. That's my favorite Bible verse in the entire Bible. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Prior to Jesus coming into the world, he was the word of God. What in the world does logos mean? What in the world does it mean for Jesus to be the word of God? There are two interpretations of what the, what the, what the word of God means, what logos means. How you interpret it depends whether you are Greek or whether, whether you are a Jew. To the Greek... The word logos means, um, I had a really good saying here. To the Greek, the logos, logos was an impersonal, abstract principle of reason and order in the universe. The Greeks believed that there was a reason, right? A, a mind, an abstract concepts 
that governs the world, governs the universe. The Greeks believed life was more than the immediate human experience. There was another world outside of the human experience. And that world outside of the human experience was governed by reason and creativity. For example, the Greeks believed the natural world, even though human beings could not see the elements of the natural world, the natural world was surrounded by, by the laws of logic, by the laws of mathematics, by music, by laws of nature. Greeks believed there were these invisible reasons, concepts, that govern existence. Plato, in his great work, The Republic, says, mathematics and music are evidence of the world that exists outside of the human experience. You cannot see the laws of mathematics. You cannot see the beauty of music. They, they exist outside of your experience. We get to experience them momentarily in this world, but they exist wholly outside of ourselves. And I think this is really true. Look, my wife is a classical pianist, organist, and she's really into music right now. Because she got a new job. She's really into music. So one day, I was praying outside, and then God says, Buddy, you got to love your wife. And I said, Okay, Lord, I'm going to love my wife. How do I love my wife? I said, I'm going to love my wife by going into her world. As the little mermaid came into the walking world, right? I said, Hey, look, the best way for me to love my wife is I will enter the classical world realm. I don't know, I don't play any instruments, right? Classical music is mind-numbingly boring to me. The best nap that I ever get is during, you know, the National Symphony Orchestra concert. That nap is wonderful. Man, that nap is great. But I said, all right, let me go to her world, right? So I try to study it and painstakingly listen to it. And I don't enjoy it. Right? But what I discovered about classical music is this. It exists in a world outside of the human experience. There's no way that a human being can concoct such majestic, complex set of melodies and rhythm and express it in such a beautiful, complex way. There is no way. BTS songs? Yeah, I can see how a computer makes it, right? But Beethoven and Bach? Wow. That's what the Greeks believed. There's a realm, reason, concept outside of our human experience. John is saying, those concepts, those reasons that govern the universe comes from Jesus Christ, the Logos. 
Logos, John says, is not an impersonal concept or ideas, but Logos is a person. The laws of mathematics, the laws of logic, classical music, all of it exists because it comes from the mind of the Logos, Jesus Christ. To the Jew, the word of God in their minds means God's divine power and wisdom. It is through God's word that God created the heavens and the earth. It is through God's word. God does miraculous things in the Old Testament. So the word of God testifies to the divine power of God. John is saying, this divine power of God that makes things happen is Jesus Christ. The word of God also in the Old Testament is the wisdom, is the eternal wisdom of God. John is saying, when John says Jesus Christ is the word of God, he means Jesus Christ is the source of eternal wisdom. The wisdom that governs every aspect of reality, the wisdom that governs your life, that is Jesus Christ. John had a huge idea of Christ. He wasn't a Santa Claus that exists to make your dreams come true. He, he isn't a therapist to make your inter, inner realities healthy. He is more than that. He is the foundation of reality itself. That's what John is saying. Before he came into the world, Jesus Christ was also, in verse 3, he says, Jesus Christ is life. Why is Jesus Christ's life? Two things. Number one, Jesus Christ's life because everything was created through Christ. Jesus Christ is the agent, not Asian, agent of creation. He is the medium, he is the power through which every living thing was created. Even everything that's created right now, it is through the agency and the influence and the power of Jesus Christ. Every worm, every mole, every bird, every tree, every flower, every bee has life in it because Christ gave because Christ gave life to all things. You are alive today. Your heart is beating at a certain pace. Your lungs are processing oxygen. Your kidneys are filtering the toxins in your, in your body. You exist today. You are alive today. Because Christ breathes life on you. And Christ wills you to live today. John says, nothing was created that was outside of him. Basically, he's saying, Jesus Christ is a creator of reality. The reality that you know right now, it doesn't belong to you. The reality that you're living right now, it doesn't belong to you. The reality that you're living right now belongs to Jesus Christ. You're just the mere visitor of this reality. It's true, isn't it? You know what this life is? I just, when, when Kyo was leading a praise, I had a thought in my head. 
You know what this life is? This life is like a, like a rental car. It's a rental car. You rent it for a season, and you have to give it back to the owner. Or your, the, your life is like your house. Even though you may think you own it, unless you paid it off, even if you, if you haven't paid it off, who really owns your house? The bank does. My house is owned by Wells Fargo. The reality that you're living in, it doesn't belong to you. You had nothing to do with creating the reality that you're living in right now. The reality that you're living in right now is created by Jesus Christ. That's what John is saying. You are not the master of your destiny. You're living the reality that he designed and he created. Christ is a designer of that reality, not you. Jesus Christ is, is life not only because he designed every living thing, but Jesus Christ is life because he's the only way to God. In the Old Testament, life, spiritual life, means having a good relationship with God the Father. We're created in the image of God, and our spirits, our spirits can only live when we have a right relationship with God. The Bible is, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you have a fictitious relationship with God, you really don't have spiritual life. Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, if you don't have a right relationship with God, then you're spiritually dead. In Christ, you have the right relationship with God. That's why he is the source of life. He is the source of physical life. He is the source of, of spiritual life. He designed reality. He is the one who gives life to your soul by leading you to God. Before Jesus was born in this world, that's who he was. Jesus Christ, John also says, is the light. It's the true light. That's verse 4 and 5, right? Jesus Christ is not only life, but he is light. What does that mean? Jesus Christ is eternal truth. Jesus Christ is who, the, what, who that is right. He is the one who's eternally right. He is the one who's eternally true. He is the one who's eternally good. He is the one who's eternally correct. You are not the one who's, always, who's, who's right. You are not the one who's always good. You are not the one who's always true. Jesus is the one who's eternally true good, and right. What is very frustrating to me when I counsel people is they cannot, I try to counsel them through biblically, and they just can't accept what, they can't accept the commands that are in the Bible. They said, I think it's this and this and this. Even though Jesus clearly said this, I think it's this and this and this. Therefore, I'm going to go this and this this way and not the way the Bible says it. And they go, if they follow the ways in which they think is right. But Jesus is saying, you're not right. You yourself don't have the truth. 
Christ is what is right and good and true. Before Jesus was born, he was the Logos. He was life. He is life. And he is light. When you see him this way, when you see him this way, you will have so much spiritual life and wisdom within you. On Friday, I went with the, what's your small group name again, Hara? Is it the Arlington one? Yeah, virtual first fruit one. We went, right, we went to a restaurant with them. I went, well, we, like I call myself in plural. We went with the group, and Haran asked me a question. How do you, in your crazy schedule, how do you find rest? And I was thinking about this on my, on my way to drive, as I was driving home. I think the way that I find rest is that I meditate upon who Jesus Christ is. The fact that he's a Logos. The fact that he is true and that he is life. That meditation gives, recharges my soul and gives me wisdom that I do not have. It's a continuous recharging. Like, I'm an electric car. I'm a Tesla. Okay, I'm a Kia, whatever Kia electric, electric car is. I'm humble. I'm not Tesla. I'm a Kia electric car. I need to get plugged in on a daily basis. I get plugged in, and I meditate upon the bigness of Jesus Christ. That, more than anything else, recharges me. John says, Jesus Christ is the Logos. Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is light. Jesus Christ, in verse 1, it says, the word, the Logos, was with God. John is talking about the Trinity here. Jesus Christ, as the Logos, in the beginning, before anything was ever created, he was with God the Father. When John says he is with God the Father, he just doesn't mean physical proximity. The word with is, 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 is a term, is, a, is, a, is, is the word that describes connection and intimacy. For example, so like when John says the Logos was with God, it means Jesus Christ was in such an intimately connected relationship with God the Father. They were constantly communicating. They were constantly loving each other. They were constantly, Jesus was constantly submitting to God the Father. There was this continual loving relationship between the Logos and God the Father. And the biggest example that I can give you is this. My daughter, by the grace of God, loves talking to me. She was going through something at school the other day, and she said, I want to throw up because of, the, you know, of certain emotional shock. But she said, the first thought that I had when I, was heard, when I heard this news was, I have to talk to my dad. And so she came into my den. She lied down on my carpet like this. And I was on my desk. Hmm, tell me about your day, dear. 
and we had a lively communication. She talked, I listened, I gave my input, she responded. It was that kind of a lively atmosphere. That's what the Bible says it is. When th- th- this, that kind of relationship is what John says when, t- when, when he says, the Logos was with God. That kind of intimate, dive, that, that organic, intimate relationship. By the way, being a Christian means you get to experience that kind of relationship with the Trinity. Being a Christian means you get to have that free discourse, that free relationship with God. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Jesus Logos was having that kind of relationship with God. John says Logos was with Logos was God. Jesus Christ, the mind of the universe, the creator of all things, the source of eternal truth, was God Himself. This God. condescended himself. Condescending means lower, right? Condescended himself and took on human nature. Why did he do that? In order to save people like you and me. The mind of the universe, the architect of all living things, the source of eternal truth, Lord himself, condescended himself in the form of a limited human being just like you and me in order for him to save people like you and me. Why do we need saving? We need saving because John says, Uh, let me see what the John says. We need saving because, verse 10, because even though he is the Logos, the architect of life, and the source of all truth, men and women do not, did not receive him. The word receive means accept. The reason why Jesus lowered himself to come to us is because we did not receive him. We do not accept him. We do not accept him as he is, who he is. Our eyes are closed to who he is. We don't accept that he is the Logos. We don't accept that he is the architect of life. We don't accept that he is true. He is true. We don't accept that. What happens to a person who doesn't accept this nature of God as the reality? What happens to us is we, are, we, we live the way we want to live. When we, when we extract the logos out of our lives, we, we put other things in its place. 
we assign other things in the place of the logos. And rather than living for the logos, we say, I want to find a logo substitute. And we live for that logo substitute. Our eyes are blind, our spirits are blind, and because we don't recognize the logos, we choose things. We're led by our desires, and we put things in his place. And the things that we put in his place makes us go insane. Give you an example. The two movies that are dominating, or not dominating, I guess, I guess they're very influential in this season, is the movie called Tar and the movie called The Menu. Have you seen The Menu? Don't see The Menu. They're all both rated R, right? You guys are all over 18, so. What these two movies are about is this. Tar is about a classical music composer. The Menu is about a world-renowned chef. What these two movies are about, the theme of these two movies is this. Human beings are capable of creating incredible art. Whether it is music or whether it's food, human beings are capable of creating amazing art. But what happens to human beings not only is that not only are they capable of creating art, but because human beings have fallen natures, they cannot enjoy the art that they create. These art that they create inevitably gets tarnished by their pride, by their desire, by their appetites. So that this amazing form of art get tarnished and destroyed. Human beings, because they're made in the image of God, are, are created to be, to create, they are in, in, capable of creating such beautiful art and we can enjoy such beautiful art. But when we don't have God, when we don't have Christ as a center, when we don't see that all things point to Christ, inevitably this art that we create becomes source of judgment, envy, and pride. And it becomes ugly. Paul says in Colossians 2, Jesus Christ is the purpose of creation. Jesus Christ created all things, and the reason that he created all things was so that people, for his glory, so that all created things can point to who Jesus is. When you know Jesus Christ, when you, and when you enjoy things in life, everything in life points to him, and you give him glory. For example... Went back to the dinner we had on Friday. I w we went to a restaurant called The Green Pig. The best name of the restaurant I have ever heard. Green Pig. Sustainable pig meat, yo. Right? Joe's excited. Joe want to go to a Green Pig restaurant. And they gave me the biggest pork chop I've ever seen. Literally, it's this thick. And it's the juiciest pork chop I have ever had. And I remembered Colossians 2. The beauty of the pork chop led me to appreciation of Christ. All things beautiful points to him. 
But when you don't know the logos, when you don't know Christ, when you're only led by your appetites, that pork jack can be easily forgotten, or the pork jack can be used as a source of my pride. I went to the green pig and I, and I ate this pork jack. I'm better than you, which is stupid. I can use it to better myself in relationship with you. Or I can be a snob and I can say, ew, pork jack. It had no flavor. I can judge it. But I can truly appreciate that meal because I knew that meal pointed to Christ. When you're blind to the logos, what you are left with is your own fallen interpretation of things. Remember in your wedding, married people? I was there. For a lot of you, I was there. I was right with you. Remember the vows you took at, the, at your wedding? I don't think you were lying when you were taking those vows. Were you? You really do meant it when you said you were going to be there for her and him thick and thin. But despite your best intentions, if your life is void of the logos, what governs your marriage is your limited perception and judgments and prejudices. When you're blind to the reality of the Logos, you will ruin things. Do you understand? That's the curse of living in sin. Despite your best intentions, you will ruin things. You can see it everywhere. You can see it in government. Look. The communist government, when they started, I think they started with good intentions. They wanted to help the poor, right? They did. They really did. Marx wasn't all wrong, right? But when people who don't know the logos get that ideology and try to enforce that ideology, they inevitably become violent. And they have no problem killing people that, that opposes them. It is like that with everything. Capitalism is a great idea, but it's used to rob people justice and fair wages. It is like that with everything. Things that have good intentions get tarnished and ruined. Because they don't know the logos, including your perception of you. You are an amazing work of creation. Scientists cannot come close to replicating your complexity. Your creativity, your ingenuity, your I don't know, you being you is an amazing thing. But what do you do with it? You don't look at yourself in such an amazing way. 
You judge yourself through a limited perception. I'm not good because I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good because I'm, compared to that guy, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good because my parents wanted me to be a different prey, but I didn't meet my parents' expectations. I'm not good because I don't speak English well. I'm not good because I don't speak Korean well. I'm not good because I'm not married. I'm not good because I don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm not good because of yada, 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 yada. With all due respect, the prejudice that you have against yourself is utter nonsense. It doesn't take away the glory of who you are because you're wonderfully made. But when you analyze yourself apart from the logos, you're stuck in the world of lies and misery. Your wife, God bless her, She's your woman, man, and, he's, and, and your husband is your man, man. I was praying yesterday, and God told me, your wife is your woman. I go, okay. But man, when you look at her, you don't look at her as your woman, do you? All the faults that come into your mind, all the things that they don't add up come into your mind. That's you when you don't know the Logos. When you don't accept Christ as who he is. That's why he came into the world in human form to open your eyes to who he is. The reason why he became human is to, first of all, reveal to you who he is so that you will know him. You will not know him unless he comes in human form and walks with you and speaks your language. You will not know him unless he reveals it to you in human form. That's why he came. So that you will see what the Logos really is. Why else did he came? Because there's a blindness to you. That needs to get that he needs to get rid of the blindness that is led caused by the rebellious sin nature in you. He needs to take that away. He does it by becoming the perfect sacrifice. In order for him to be the perfect sacrifice for your sins, he needs to be human. And when he died for your sins, the great benefit is the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the logos. The only way that your eyes will be open to the Logos is if he gets rid of your sins and he restores your vision. And, he, and, he, and that's why he came, to take away your sins so that you will see the Logos. So that you have a proper relationship with him. Do you have a proper relationship with him? Do you see the logos in your life? Is he just a baby in a manger to you? Or is he life itself? Is he, crea- is he creator himself? Or is he just a baby in a manger? God lets himself known to you. That's why Jesus says, you need to stay with me. 
You need to work really hard to stay with me. Because if you stay with me, if my words stay with you, you will see me. And when you see him, you will gain much fruit. The most important calling in your life is to stay with Jesus Christ. You think he understands you because you're too busy and you're tired and you're not staying with him? You think he's understanding that of you? No. Because you're tired and weary, you need to stay with him more. Stay with him so that you will see him, so that you will bear much fruit in your life. Do you understand? He came so that you will see him. He sends you the Holy Spirit so that you will see him. That's why he came. And by seeing him and accepting him that you will live. What's the purpose of calling yourself Christian if you don't see him on a daily basis? If you're, if you're ignorant of the logos, just as the other people are ignorant of the logos, what's the point of your Christianity? He comes to reveal himself to you. Lastly, and I'll end, up, and I'll end quickly, Jesus Christ not only came to let you see him, But the incarnation tells you what life is about. Jesus Christ humiliated himself. He condescended himself as a servant to serve his people and to die for his people. That's the model of every Christian. The reason why the prosperity gospel, the gospel that says if you believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to let you into that school or give you money. The reason why that is so disgusting is because it is against what he's really about. He's about lowering yourself and serving others. That's the blueprint of your life if you're a Christian. If you think Christianity is about God giving you things so that you can shine like the, so your wealth and success can shine in the world, then you're sorely mistaken. The way to life is to follow him by denying himself, by denying yourself. I'm walking with him. Look, it's not easy. I can preach like this. But every day comes a trial where it tests my sacrifice. Yesterday, after picking up my daughter from violin, I said, baby, what do you want to eat? She says, since Korea won the, you know, the Brazil, I'm sorry, oops, wishful thinking. Since Korea won against Portugal, by the way, not a fan of Cristiano Ronaldo anymore. Anyway, right? You know what he said about Koreans, man? Oh. My daughter says, 
because Korean won, I want to eat Korean fried chicken. I go, God bless you, baby. So we went to a Korean fried chicken house. But the waitress in the Korean fried chicken house wasn't very polite. And I could see my rage flaring up within me. I can preach like this. But in order to embrace suffering and lower myself, I need to be connected with him on a daily basis. Lowering yourself to be a servant. Lowering yourself and walking in forgiveness and service. That's how things around you start to, that's how people around you start to have life. The way you cause life to the people around you is by following Christ and lowering yourself and serving them. Ladies, yesterday my wife, was, my wife went to your Haran's house and did a Christmas sprinkle thingy, cookie thingy. I have no idea what you guys did. I'm expecting some form of cookies in the next couple of weeks or so. Right, Haran? No? Why did I send my wife to you guys for? Anyway. That's a good occasion where you're calling a reminder that your calling is to lower yourself and to walk with the fellow sisters in that meeting. Christianity is never about me just receiving things from God. Following Christ, Jesus says, carry my cross and follow me. He's saying, lower yourself as a servant and daily walk with him in forgiveness and service to the people around you. Incarnation is the model in which he has called you to live. Incarnation says he came so that you will see him. So that you will live. Incarnation is the model in which how you're called is the blueprint of your life in this world. That's your blueprint. The way that you live this call is to daily walk with their Savior who, who condescended himself for you. And he will give you the desire and he will give you the insight that you need to live the way that he wants you to live. Let us pray.